Well, hey, welcome back to church. I'm glad you're with us. We saw seven people give their lives to Jesus last Sunday. Um, that's just awesome. Um, can I ask you to join with me in celebrating what God did here last Sunday in person this morning and online if you're watching from home? Let's just thank Jesus for seven people who gave their lives to Christ. It's just awesome. Um, we are holding a baptism this afternoon at Minnow Ponds Park in Edgar. We're feeding anybody that would like to come lunch. We're planning on 125 people. If we have more, we'll have to run to the IGA very quickly and buy a few buckets of chicken. But we hope that you will show up. We did not take an RSVP. We hope you'll make this a memorable part of your what's left of summer this is absolutely a beautiful day. Uh, the water may be a bit refreshing, but I think it will be warm enough for an outdoor baptism. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to eat lunch at 1230. We're going to baptize following lunch. So if I were to estimate, I'd estimate about 1.15, 1.30 p.m. We'll be baptizing, but we're going to eat at 1230. You're invited to join us. Um, I'll tell you that uh, this morning I want to talk about baptism because uh, I want to make sure that we're clear on this before our baptism, and I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you. I hope to show you that this was the norm in the New Testament. Baptism was. Uh, the thought may have never crossed your mind, but baptism was absolutely regular. It was recurring in the New Testament church. So if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. If not, we'll have it on the screen uh, behind me. And a short version of today's text is this. Um, it's been less than two, uh, let me give you a little background. It's been less than two months since Jesus died on the cross. So less than 60 days, he's resurrected gloriously from death. In that two months, Jesus has appeared multiple times to many people. Uh, he is now gone. He's ascended into heaven. He sent out his disciples to plant churches. He promised he'd send his Holy Spirit to help them and accomplish that. And in Acts chapter 2, this really dramatic and amazing thing happened. It says all of a sudden there was a sound like a fierce, sudden, rushing wind. Scholars say the word used means something akin to a tornado. So if you've ever heard a tornado, if you've ever listened to one on YouTube, you might know this sound. Uh, and these little flames, we don't exactly know um, exactly how to picture this, but these little flames appeared over the heads of Jesus' followers, these mystical flames. And they all started singing Rock You Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions. Are you aware of that? Uh, actually, they didn't. That's not true. I made that up. But they did. They did uh, start speaking fluently in uh, languages they've never uh, learned or even heard. And all of this happens in public, and all of a sudden people in the crowd, passerbys from these far out places, they recognize their own language, and they say, hey, um, these guys aren't speaking their language, they're speaking our language. What's going on? Like, they didn't naturally know uh, these words. Um, did everybody, you know, subscribe to Rosetta Stone last month? Like, what's, what's the deal here? And so the Apostle Peter stands up in front of the crowd, and keep in mind that, that these are many of the same people who had cried out weeks earlier for Jesus' crucifixion. 
And he tells them that they had been wrong about Jesus. And he does so quite emphatically. Peter said, uh, you killed Jesus. And, and, and you thought you were getting rid of this blasphemer, this public nuisance. But God actually overturned your verdict because God raised Jesus from death. And I'll read it to you in verses 22 through 36. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified, you killed by the hands of lawless men. God, however, raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to hell or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make full of gladness with your presence, me. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn him with an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. And this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, eyewitnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit that he's poured out, this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now I would argue that that's a pretty darn good sermon. What is Peter saying? Peter's saying and making the point that when you've got two people who are in, in an argument and they're fighting over life superlatives or whatever it, it may be, and one of them says that he rose himself from the dead, that guy wins the argument. You know, there's, there's no question. He wins. It's just automatic. Peter says, you thought you were getting rid of a nuisance, but in reality, Jesus was dying for your sins. And this resurrected Jesus, he's the one behind all of this strange phenomena that we've been seeing, including the, including the weird people who you saw speaking in other languages that they didn't know, but you did. You observed them. You were walking by. You thought they were drunk. This is all coming to pass because of Jesus. What you are seeing is of God. And Acts 2, verses 37 through 41 says this. When they heard this, when they heard this, when, when, when Peter connected the dots for them, that this man that they killed was really God. They were cut to the heart. 
That means they repented. That means they had genuine sorrow for what they had felt, what they had done, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? So here's where I'm going with this. What should you do when you realize that Jesus has died for you and forgiven your sins? What should you do about that? That's the question that they ask. Brothers, what should we do? Now that we realize that Jesus has saved us, that he's exactly who he said he was. And Peter replied this way, this is key. Repent and be baptized. Each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord your God will call. And with many other words, see, Peter had many other words. I am not the only one who preaches long sermons. With many other words, this is biblical evidence for long sermons. Okay, right here. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Don't miss this. In that very moment, the early church became instantly a megachurch. In that moment, 3,000 people. That's a big audience for a sermon. 3,000 people that day decided to be baptized as followers of Jesus. That's 3,000 people who woke up that morning, had zero expectation of being baptized that day. That's 3,000 people who hadn't dressed for it. That's 3,000 people who hadn't sent out invitations. They hadn't texted any of their friends. They hadn't gone to Target and bought cute dresses but in Peter's sermon he drew a line in the sand and they knew what side of the line they wanted to be on they were cut to the heart they felt genuine sorrow for their lives for their sins and their lives were changed right there on the spot and so they wanted to be baptized to show everybody hey I'm in love with Jesus and you know what you see in the book of Acts, you see this scenario play out again and again and again and again and again. Times 27. There's a lot of baptisms in the book of Acts. Over two dozen. I'll give you just a few examples in Acts 8. I won't put the scripture up. I'll just paraphrase. An Ethiopian government official is riding along in this chariot. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. He's all confused. See, you're not the only one that's confused when you read the words of the prophet Isaiah. This Ethiopian official was confused too. So don't feel bad. The Spirit of God, knowing that this official is confused, sends a guy by the name of Philip to join him in the chariot and to explain to him that what he's reading is actually a prophecy about Jesus Christ who had died and, and risen from death months earlier. And like seven of you, last Sunday, this Ethiopian official 
becomes convinced that Jesus is really the Messiah. Now watch this. In Acts 8, he says, And as they are going, Luke's recording this, as they are going along the road, they came to some water, and the newly believing official said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he, the official, commanded the chariot to stop. Apparently, he had some level of authority. He commanded the chariot to stop, and they, Philip, the, the guy, the God follower who just showed up to explain Isaiah to him, and he, the official, went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. Notice there was no preparation. There was no confirmation process. There was no catechism. There was no basic process, which is a class that I teach here, and a segment of which is on baptism. Notice also they went down into the water. The Greek word for baptizo literally means to immerse, not to drizzle, not to pour, not to submerse, to be clear, but to immerse. Submerse is when you leave something down there for a while. We don't do that in Christian baptism unless somebody has been complaining an awful lot. In which case, we may hold them under another second or two, but we bring them back up. Okay? We bring them back up. So the word is immerse, meaning you go under and you come back up. So the official was lowered into the water, and then he was brought right back up. And then in Acts 9, a man named Saul, you may remember this story, gets confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's a Christ hater. He is the equivalent of the Taliban in his day. He's systematically going house to house looking for murdering Christians. And Jesus Christ knocks him off of his blinding light, who is Jesus, knocks, we know that because a voice came out of heaven and said, this is Jesus who you are persecuting. He knew it was Jesus. Jesus knocks him off his horse. He meets Jesus, has this radical encounter. He sees the truth, and a Christ follower named Ananias invites Saul over to his house and then Saul gets up, we read, and was baptized. And then after taking some food, he regains his strength. So again, Saul, no theology classes. No period of proving himself as a Christian. Baptism even took precedence, it probably should today, in our case too, over lunch. People waited on lunch. To be baptized. And then in Acts 16, this beautiful, sweet, God-fearing woman named Lydia. She was a maker of purple fabric. She was an entrepreneur in her day. She had multiple houses. She had done very well for herself. She goes to one of Paul's. Saul turned his name into Paul. Same guy who was persecuting Christians is now leading a Bible study. And Lydia, this gal, shows up, and she encounters Jesus through the preaching of Paul, and she responds, and she and all of her household are baptized, and immediately so. Acts 18, a man named Crispus, a leader in the Jewish community of Corinth, thought he had it all together. He was so proper and prim, Everybody just thought he looked so good all the time. And he encounters Jesus through, through Paul's preaching.
preaching and he realizes that his religious upbringing and the clothes that he wears are not good enough. He realizes he cannot get to heaven by his church attendance. He realizes he cannot get to heaven by his family name. He realizes he cannot get to heaven by how loudly he prays in public. He realizes he cannot get to heaven by somebody else's coattails. He realizes that God has only children, not grandchildren. He realizes his whole life is undone and that he desperately needs Jesus Christ. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, we read, believed in the Lord and his whole household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Here's where I like to ask you. Do you notice a pattern? Do you notice a pattern in the book of Acts? Because I would submit to you, there's not a single baptism in the book of Acts that was not immediate, that was not unplanned, that was not spontaneous. Baptism was not something in the New Testament that you put on your calendar. Baptism was not something in the New Testament that you bought a nice outfit for. This was something you had no idea that you were going to do that day and you found the love of God through the preaching of the word to be irresistible and you chose to demonstrate your Christian belief in baptism in water. And I know that I know that the baptisms of the early church looked nothing like the lion's share of baptisms that we see today, including in evangelical churches like ours. Maybe you sent out invitations. Maybe you made calls. Maybe you wrapped gifts. Maybe you went to Perkins for pancakes afterwards. Please understand my heart. It's not to criticize. These are all fine. There can certainly be value in waiting for a particular number of reasons. I'm simply pointing out that this is not the way it happened in the early church that thrived two months after Jesus' resurrection from death. It's not the way Jesus was baptized. It's not the way John baptized. It's not the way that Paul baptized. It's not the way that Peter baptized. So what I want to do this morning is go back to the first baptism in Acts 2. And I want to look closely at what Peter said. And I want to see why they responded like they did. And then I'm going to offer you a chance to be baptized today at Minnow Ponds Park in Edgar this afternoon. There's three primary groups of people that I have in mind today while I'm talking. There are some here who need to make and have yet to make a first-time decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you didn't quite have the courage last week. Maybe this week you're ready. Maybe you've heard about Jesus your whole life, but you've never really had a relationship with him. This includes some of you who have been to church your whole life. This includes others of you. This is your first time in a church like this one or first time in a church at all. This includes those of you who feel far from God right now. That were far from him in your past, that may be far from him in your present today. It might include some of you who have been opposed to God or Christianity your entire life. 
who have argued eloquently. It's also for those of you who may have felt close to God at some point, but that point is a long time ago, and a lot has happened since then. If you have any questions about where you stand with Jesus Christ, let me help you settle that this morning. We invite you to have your name written, as we talked about last week, in the Lamb's Book of Life. The list that Peter's going to hold at the pearly gates when people come and ask, is my name written there? Do I get in? The Bible says heaven or hell is going to last a really long time. You think COVID's inconvenient. Let me tell you, hell is going to be inconvenient. It's going to be much worse. Jesus came down, added to his divinity, humanity, died, was dead for three days, rose from death without assistance. He's the only one to have ever done it. And he did it so that you might be forgiven of your sins and not spend all that time in hell, but in heaven. So maybe that would be your decision. And I invite you to be baptized today. Baptizing symbolizes being buried with your sins, raised to new life in Jesus. It's not the culmination of your faith. It's not the graduation of your faith. It's the inauguration of your faith. Meaning you don't need to get all cleaned up for baptism. That kind of defeats the purpose of baptism. Baptism, to be clear, isn't, you know, where your literal sins float to the surface. And we have to say the dirtiest dish to last, right? But inwardly in your heart, it symbolizes Christ's forgiveness. And you saying, I know it. I know I'm cleansed. I know though I was as scarlet, now I'm white as snow. I'm forgiven. I'm set free. I belong to him now. I belong to the king now. I love Jesus now. I'm going to live for Jesus now. My values have changed now. There's three. Um, primary groups of people. That's the first. Group two. Those of you who have made a decision in the past but have yet to be baptized in water. For some of you, maybe you've not known that you were supposed to be, or maybe you feel like you just haven't had the opportunity yet, or maybe there's been the fear of what others might think, but, but you've been attending uh, faithfully for, for years. You may fear somebody saying, how could you not have been baptized until now? You were a deacon. You were an elder. How is it that you couldn't have gotten water baptized? And we play these silly games in our head, but the bottom line is, you haven't done it. You haven't been baptized in water. Maybe when you were an infant or younger, but quite frankly, you're not even sure that you were a follower of Jesus back then. You didn't know about Jesus. That was a decision of your parents. So you haven't had the opportunity to express that you want to be a Christ follower yourself yet. Maybe... Finally, group three. What did I say? I feel like I'm running circles. So group one was this. Group one was, if you've 
need to make, if you need to make a first-time decision to follow Jesus this morning. Group two is those who have made a decision in the past but have yet to be baptized in water. Group three is those that have been baptized in the past but need to be baptized again. I don't say need like works-related salvation or like you need it to get into heaven. I just mean it's a pivotal moment in your life that I think you would be foolish to not observe and enjoy. We don't throw food at our brothers and sisters that baptize babies. We really don't. We don't argue with them. But baptism, again, is meant to mark the beginning of a life of discipleship. Baptism isn't some rite of passage. Baptism marks a life of surrender. Maybe you would say, Zach, my mom doesn't want me to baptize, be baptized again. My mommy is, my mommy, if you're an adult, you'd say, my mom, I've been talking to kids too much. My mom and dad are opposed. We've seen this. We've seen this again and again in such a Catholic and Lutheran context. I would hurt my family if I was baptized again. You know what I say to those people? You may not convince your mom that she ought not to be hurt. You might not be able to, but here's what I would say you say to your mom. Mom, I am confirming as an adult exactly, precisely what you hoped for, prayed for, when you baptized me as a baby. You were baptizing me saying, Lord, I trust that, that this baby is going to follow you one day. I want them to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I want them to declare his goodness, his greatness, all the days of their life. That's what I'm doing today as an adult. The only difference is this is my decision. You ought to celebrate this, Mom. This is what you wanted for me. And she may be convinced. And she may not. And I would encourage you as hard as it might be to get baptized regardless and to boldly declare that this isn't about custom, this isn't about family, this isn't about coattails, this is about me saying I'm a sinner and in need of a Savior and Jesus is that Savior. So just like Jesus was lowered in the ground and raised to life, I'm going to be lowered in water and raised to new life in Him. I'm resolute. I had a lot more to say. In fact, four pages, five pages of notes. Maybe another time. It's 9.30 a.m. Let me pray for all of you. And I hope to see you by the water's edge this afternoon. I'll be back up momentarily to give announcements after the offering. Let's pray. Actually, before we pray, why don't I just go ahead and extend this invitation. Is there anybody here who would say, I've been playing by the creek bank a long time. I'm ready to jump in. I'm ready to declare that Jesus is mine. That I am his. I'm his child. I just want to follow him. I want to love him. I want to serve him all my days. If that's you, will you just lock eyes with me? Nod your head this morning. Let me know that that's you. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Anybody else here? Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome.
Thank you, Lord. I want to become a Christian today. I want to devote my life to Jesus. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us again. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Would you pray this prayer with me? Those of you who love Jesus and those of you who have just decided that you want to become a Christ follower. Heavenly Father, would you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I've fallen short. Please forgive me. Forgive my past sins, my present sins, my future sins. Make me new. Wash me. Cleanse me. Give me a pure conscience. Rid my heart of shame and guilt. I'm a new creature. Just like Saul became Paul, I'm new. I'm born again. I'm starting over. I've received grace. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I'll serve you, Jesus. You are mine. I am yours forever. In Jesus' name, amen.